Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 21, on pages 1,176. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with his empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it will be a great help if you can keep your Bibles open at our reading from Ephesians chapter 5 on page 1176 in the church Bibles if you close them. And there should be a handout tucked into your service sheet that may help you as we go along tonight. Let's pray for God's help as we turn to his word together. Father, we thank you that these scriptures are true, that they are what we need to know you and to know ourselves. Father, we pray that in a world where there are so many competing voices tempting us to go 101 different ways, we pray that tonight the truth of your word would ring out clearly in our hearts and in this room, that we may better know you and ourselves and therefore be able to better live for you. We pray this for your glory. Amen. One of the best things about the school I went to growing up was that the school had been left a legacy by a former pupil. The legacy was, in fact, a house way up in the highlands of Scotland. 
And uh, the house was amazing. So almost every week the school would send up a, a year or a class of um, students up to this house. And I, I went there many times and we would learn lots about um, geography and biology and we'd learn about uh, walking in the mountains. We'd learn about how to use a compass and a map and how to be prepared for the long walks up in the hills, what kind of clothes to wear. Um, it was absolutely brilliant as a young lad. I, I loved going up into the mountains. But the walks weren't always fun and cheerful. There may have been stunning views and great challenges, but there were also concerns. I remember one morning, our, our teacher took us outside the house and he gathered us around and he, he looked up at a mountain across the valley and he pointed to it and says, we're going to climb that mountain today. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing views. And then his finger moved around just to the side of the mountain. He said, over there is Winter Quarry. And I need to tell you last year that a group of walkers went off the path and they went down Winter Quarry and they died. And he said, in fact, as a teacher, I've been coming here for years and every year we hear reports of people who go down Winter Quarry and die almost every year without fail. And so he said, it's going to be a great walk. But he said, stick to the path. (laughs) And it was a great walk. We had a lovely time. But you can imagine as we walked... The words Winter Cory just echoed in our hearts and ears as we walked. Uh, we stayed on the path, you bet we did. We had a great time and we were safe. Tonight in Ephesians 5, Paul shows us how to walk, not in the mountains, but rather as Christians. We've been hearing over these last few weeks about God's master plan for the world to bring all things together under one head, even Christ. We've been hearing about what it means to to live as God's people. We've been uh, looking from chapter 4, verse 1, about uh, what it means to to live out or literally to to walk a life worthy of the calling we have received. Uh, Paul is writing to show us how to walk correctly as God's people caught up in his master plan for the world. And here is Paul's walking guide to the Christian life. And tonight, just as my teacher did all those years ago, Paul takes us aside and he says there's a great walk, there's a glorious walk to be had. Stunning views, it will be wonderful. But I need to tell you, there are dangers. There are precipices on either side of the Christian walk It is a tremendous, extraordinary privilege to be caught up in God's master plan. How can we not help but be in awe of what we've seen so far in Ephesians? And yet here tonight, we have a difficult passage. These are not easy words for us to hear tonight. These are tough words. But just as my teacher warned us out of love, so Paul warns us out of love. He reminds us where the precipices are in the Christian walk as we seek to be part of God's master plan. So what does Paul say in his walking guide for the Christian? Uh, First, you'll see in the handout, he says, as God's people walk in purity, not in purity. Verse three. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. 
consistently in the Bible, uh, it's very clear that uh, sexual activity is to be had only between one man and one woman in the lifelong committed relationship of marriage. And any other sexual activity outside of that one plan for the world is not part of God's good plan for the world. It is not part of his purposes. And that is what Paul means by sexual immorality. And although impurity and greed could mean lots of things, I think here in this context, Paul is talking about the area of our sexual activity. He's talking about sexual impurity and sexual greed, that longing, that particular personal desire for more at the expense of anything else. And Paul's warning is so deadly serious, verse 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. These are strong words. These are some of the strongest words in all of the New Testament. They are difficult words to preach on. I myself, as a preacher, my own life is under the spotlight, along with everyone else here tonight, as we look at these words together. But these are words given to us to warn us about the dangers that lie on either side of the Christian walk. I don't know what is most likely to trip you up as a Christian, to to lead you off the path, to lead you down a, a, a line of destruction. But from my own experience of being involved in pastoral ministry, and more importantly because of what Paul says in Ephesians 5, sexual sin is one of the great precipices that people fall down time and time again. According to a recent study I, I came across, um, 50% of men admitted to watching porn on the internet, which is quite shocking. Uh, what is even more shocking is that that had happened that week of the survey, not just in the lifetime, but that week, which is also shocking. What is even more shocking is that these men are professing Christians, and what is even more shocking is that these men had just been to a well-known large Christian conference Um, very much like the kind of conferences we would go to here. Look, I don't know if the stats are true here for us tonight, but my guess is that in a room this size, there'll be lots of us who struggle with that kind of thing. Maybe it's not the internet, uh, maybe it's the cinema, our TV screens. Uh, Maybe it's the magazines we read, the books that we allow our imagination to grapple with. Uh, Maybe it's uh, what we do with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We think that it's a private thing between two consenting adults, but it's not a private thing, God knows. And it's not just down to what we want to do. Uh, God cares about our office relationships and about what we do on our business trips away from town. In all these areas, Paul says there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And our speech matters too, verse 4. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I think Paul's logic is this if we become casual, careless, and coarse 
in our speech about sexual things, then so often this leads to a casualness in our activity as well. And so Paul says, just don't even go there. Don't begin that journey by your speech. Steer well clear from that whole area. The innuendos, the the crude jokes, the frequent references, they are just inappropriate for God's holy people. Now please be clear tonight. After all that we've seen in Ephesians, we do not earn our place amongst God's people. We do not earn our inheritance through a perfect moral record. We've heard that we all, by nature, are dead in our transgressions and sins. Apart from Christ, we have no life. We are the living dead. And it is only through God's gracious rescue in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross in our place, that any of us can be alive spiritually. Our way into God's people is not through our effort, our performance. It is through God's grace alone. And yet here tonight, Paul is warning us that if we continue to live a life riddled with the habits and patterns of sexual impurity, then we need to ask ourselves whether we have ever been part of God's holy people. For such things have no place amongst God's people. They are not in keeping with God's people. Uh, Think of it this way. When I was learning about um, how to walk in the mountains in that house uh, up in the highlands, uh, I, I learned about the kind of things you bring with you when you go walking. So if you are a true mountain person, you know that when you go walking in the mountains, you wear sturdy boots and you wear a raincoat, especially if you're in Scotland, um, and you bring a map and a compass and you bring extra food and you bring extra clothing and a water bottle. You, you come prepared. These are the hallmarks of a walker who understands the mountains. So just imagine if, as you're there on that morning, preparing to go for your long walk up the mountain, and as people gather, the next person who comes is wearing, well, a bathrobe. And um, on their feet, they've got a pair of slippers. And they're holding under their arm a a bowl of popcorn. And they've even got, on the other arm, a widescreen TV. And they say, right, I'm ready to go for a walk in the mountains. You might think, do you you understand what it means to walk in the mountains? Are are you a mountain person? Do you have any idea? It's just not the kind of thing you do. I don't know if that works, but that's the kind of picture Paul has. If we really are part of God's people, if we really have experienced the grace of Christ, if we have been made alive, if the Spirit does dwell in us, then these kind of sexual impurities, they're just not in keeping with God's people. Walk in purity not impurity. And this won't be easy. Verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Again, imagine back to the, um, the hill walking. Um, the first person arrives with, with the widescreen TV under their arms and you think, ha, huh, what are they doing? They're crazy. It's not fitting. You're there with your anorak and your backpack and you think, I'm in the right. I've got the right plan here. But then the next person who rocks up 
from the car. Well, they've got a TV as well. And the next person, they've got their popcorn. And the next person, the next person wearing the bath robe and the slippers. And, and after a while, you're standing there and everyone else has their widescreen TVs. And you're the only one with the walking boots and the rucksack and the anorak. You might just start doubting yourself. Well, maybe you should be wearing you know, a widescreen TV in your head as you walk up the hills. Maybe I've got this wrong. It is incredibly hard to go against the flow, even if we know we are in the right because of God's word. And Paul imagines difficult days to these Ephesians, and so too for us. There will be many, many people who live differently from God's word, who, who live a life that's completely shaped utterly differently from God's word. They, they live a life of, of impurity and of sexual immorality. And they say, it works for us. It's fun, it's great. Come walk with us. This is the way to go. And when we are surrounded by many such voices, Paul knows that it's so easy to be deceived by the crowds, to think, what if, what if they've got it right and I've got it wrong somehow? Paul says, no. For such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So the guys on our corridor who bloat about their activities with the ladies. Uh, The girl at work who becomes increasingly friendly towards us and starts spending more and more time around us, promising uh, all kinds of potential things with us. It can start to feel as if God might not care, that actually it's much better to go the way of the world. But Paul says, don't be deceived. God really does care about such things. Or perhaps more subtly, the deception can come from other Christians, those who we think we can trust. I remember when I was going out with Lorna years ago, um, we knew some Christians who decided to book a holiday together, just the two of them, a guy and a girl. They said, oh, it was cheaper, much cheaper to get the same hotel room, to book the flights together. And they said, look, you know, we won't do anything, you know, we're Christians, but we're going to head off because it's financially better. And I remember finding that very hard as a Christian trying to be pure in my relationship, thinking, if they're doing it, why can't I do it? Isn't that right? And you see, other Christians can, can lead a life which is deceptive. Looking at Ephesians 5, that couple, they weren't uh, following Paul's instruction of no hints, or at least that's not how it looked to the watching world. So as Christians, we need to be very careful about who we follow and watch and model. And and equally, we have to be very careful about how we model to other people this kind of purity. Are we being those who model purity or are we modeling deception? Paul says, verse 7, therefore do not be partners with them. He's not saying that we should be uh, monks living in a monastery, cut off completely from anyone who's at all impure. That would be impossible. And actually, in the rest of chapter 5, we'll see that that's not Paul's plan for us as Christians. No, what he's saying here is that we should not align ourselves with those who think God doesn't care about our sexual behavior. Because he does. And he says, do not partner with those who think like that. Do not align yourselves with their worldview. Before we move on, what if we have slipped in this area of sexual sin? I know I have. 
I would be amazed if anyone here tonight could say they have never slipped in this area. What do we do? Are we out? Is that it? Well, for those of us who have slipped and who know it and feel great sorrow, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. For Christ died for people like myself and like you, people who are by nature dead, who cannot help themselves. That is what the gospel is all about. Christ did not come to die for good people, but for sinners. And so if we have slipped, rejoice and grasp once afresh the truth of the cross. But if there are some here tonight who know that their odd slip back into the old way has become a frequent day ticket, traveling back to the old ways, back to the old self. If you know deep down inside that it's not been a slip or a blip or a bad season, but it's been a habit and a pattern that has become entrenched and defines you, I need to warn you from the scriptures tonight that you are on a track which is very dangerous, heading away from God's plans for his people. If you do feel trapped, if you feel stuck in this way of life, speak to someone about it. I I would love to chat to you about it. Um, um, Come and grab me afterwards, drop me an email, uh, give me a call. I'd love to chat to you. Chat to someone in your small group, a friend who can pray with you. Um, But don't stand alone in this. And we'll think more about what we can do later on tonight as we go through Ephesians 5. But Paul says, walk in purity, not impurity. Next, as God's people, Paul says, walk as light, not darkness. Uh, So far, Paul has been talking about what we shouldn't do as God's people. And now, in these next verses, verses 8 to 14, he talks about what we should do in the positive how we should live as God's people. And it's so very clear, verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The Ephesian Christians, all of us here tonight, at one time we were darkness. That is, we lived following dark patterns, trapped in a dark world, living apart from Christ in death. But now, as Paul says, in the Lord, we are light. And notice Paul doesn't say that we we now live in the light. He says that we are light. Such has been the dramatic transformation in us that we we actually have become light, not because we have done something wonderful, but because Christ has brought his life and light into us through the gospel. And so Paul says, live as children of light. Live as those who are made alive in Christ. And what does it mean? Verse 9 shows us, for the fruit of light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. When we used to live in Oxford, um, many people used to uh, cycle around uh, town. In fact, most people cycled. Uh, and it was fine during the day to cycle um, you could see people in the daylight. It was obvious who was coming and going. It was easy to avoid the cyclists. But at night, when dusk fell, it became much harder to see where the cyclists were. And actually, most people in Oxford seem to have not heard about bicycle lights. Um, so and they would cycle along uh, completely uh, in the dark, not wearing any bright clothing with no lights on. And it became very hard to see because it was dark. 
There was no contrast between the bicyclists and the world around them. And of course, you can imagine what happened after that. But Paul is urging us not to be like the cyclist in Oxford who goes around with no lights on, who is invisible in the surrounding darkness. He says, no, be a person of light. Be in contrast to a dark world. Stand out so that people can see you. As people see the fruit of light, and goodness, righteousness, and truth, we are to stand out in contrast to verse 11, the fruitless deeds of darkness. In a world of darkness, God's people are to live a life of light. Now, sadly, I think as Christians, we just so often get this wrong. It can go two ways. Uh, some of us as Christians, well, we, we find the darkness scary. We don't want to leave the front door because outside is a big dark world. It's difficult where people are, are nasty. And so we, we prefer to stay inside in our front sitting room where it's, it's light and cozy and comfortable. And we, and we lock the doors to the darkness. And we have lots of nice light on, but it's all light done in private. And so the world that is in darkness does not see light, does not see goodness, righteousness, and truth. Others of us head out into the darkness, um, but we forget to uh, bring our lights. Uh, when I was in Oxford, I, I had lights on my bicycle, um, LED lights, but um, uh, they were so old, the battery was very dim. You could hardly see the lights on, and I knew I had about five minutes before the batteries died completely, so my journey had to last uh, no more than five minutes, or else I became illegal on the roads. Um, so my lights were kind of technically on, but they were hardly visible. And as Christians, we head out into the world so often with our lights technically on, you know, kind of trying to live for Christ technically. But actually, in practice, the difference between the darkness and our lights is so small, you could miss it in a blink. I had a friend who, um, for his birthday, was given a, a pretty spectacular bicycle light. It was more of a kind of beacon than a light. It had a separate battery pack that he strapped onto his bicycle. And it was so bright, you could see it from 100 meters away. Uh, in fact, it was almost painful and you just could not miss him. And that is the kind of light we are to have as Christians as we head out into a dark world. Not a, a five-minute light or a dull light, but a, a dazzling, beautiful, beacon-like light shining in the world. And what will happen when we do this as Christians, when we live a life of goodness, of righteousness, and of truth? Well, verse 13 tells us, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Just as my friend's beacon light illuminated not just himself, but the road around him and actually everyone on the street, uh, so as Christians, we are called to live such distinct lives that the way we live illuminates the area we are in with light. Not, I think, in a way which brings about kind of judgment and condemnation. We're not to go around being goody two-shoes, telling people off. But we are to live such an attractive light, life, which, which draws people in, which makes them think, wow, why would I live that way, the old way? I would, I would want to live the new way, the way of light. As we refrain from sleeping with our girlfriend or boyfriend, as we refrain from the coarse joking and the impurity and the greedy lust that defines our world. As we act with purity at our work social, we are being light. 
And in a dark world, it is light that the world craves and longs for. And there is a hint here in in our Bibles that as we shine our light into the world, the light that Christ has given us, so actually the, the darkness can become light as well. The light can transform the darkness. In fact, that's what's happened to us. So that that quote in verse 14, I don't think it's a direct quote from anywhere in Scripture, though it is in line with Scripture. It is probably a a quote from an early hymn. But in it, Paul says this, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's describing what has happened to the Ephesians. Christ has shone on them with his light, and they've woken up from the dead. They've been made alive. And Paul is saying, so too, this could happen again for other people. As Christians shine the light of Christ into the world, those who are dead and in darkness, they too can come to life and light up. How often have we heard um, the story of someone who became a Christian and they they talked about how a colleague at work who was a Christian lived a a different life, a life which got under their skin, a life which was different. They, They saw something in this Christian about how they lived and talked and how they were pure and careful in their words. And they knew that they didn't have that. There was something at work in that Christian they just didn't understand or get. And they were intrigued. They were drawn in. And as they were drawn in, they discovered it was Christ. Do You see, that's, I think, what Paul has in mind for us here tonight. Walk as light, not darkness. We we mustn't withdraw into our monasteries and hide from the world. We are to go out into the world, a dark place where we bring light to the world. As God's people, we are to walk as light, not darkness. Uh, Finally, very quickly, we are, as God's people, to walk together, not alone. After all that Paul has said, it's no surprise to see what he says next in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. And you would be, wouldn't you, if you know that there are precipices on either side of the walk. What does Paul mean when he says, be careful? Well, he gives us the answer with with three contrasting uh, phrases. He says, uh, not but, three times. So it's there in verse 15. Not as unwise, but as wise. Or verse 17, uh, not as those who are foolish, but as those who understand the will of the Lord. And then finally in verse 18, uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see those three contrasts, not unwise, wise, not foolish, but understanding, and finally, not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. And I think that final contrast is the most important one for us here tonight. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit instead of being drunk on wine? Uh, There's been huge debates about what that verse means. Uh, I've heard some people say that uh, to be filled with the Spirit is to have a particular experience, maybe on a particular evening or at a particular meeting, where they experience something new and fresh of God's Spirit, and that's when they are filled. And that experience of being filled helps them to live for Christ that week. I've heard other people say that um, we're like um, cups. And um, when God fills us with His Spirit, He, he fills us up with, with, with His Spirit to the brim. And we head off into a new week full to the brim with the Spirit. And our job is to, is to walk carefully so we don't spill the Spirit and let it sort of slosh out. But, but we're not very good at it. So actually we, we leak the Spirit and we have to come back and be refilled with the Spirit because we leak. We're not very good at keeping the cup full. Have you heard that explanation of this verse? 
I just don't think it's right. You see, the Spirit is not a thing. He is not a liquid. The Spirit is a person. You can't leak a person. You can't lose a person during the week. You can't have part of a person. My sister just texted yesterday saying she's going to come and visit in a few weeks' time. And when she comes to visit me, I fully expect to see not 70% of my sister, but, but all of my sister. That's how it works with relationships. The Spirit is a person, and we don't leak people. So what does Paul mean when he says, be filled with the Spirit? Well, I've put a few references down on the handout. Do chase them up afterwards if you want to. But as Christians, we already have the Spirit dwelling in us. That's so clear in Ephesians. We already have him in our hearts. And so we can't leave here tonight and somehow leak him out of our lives such that we no longer have him in our hearts. That is not the truth of Ephesians. It's also helpful to remember what it means to be full or filled in Ephesians. We've seen that idea before as well. Uh, in Ephesians 1 verse 23, Paul says that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Or in, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Paul uses the idea of fullness to describe growing up as Christians, of being mature in Christ. To be full as a Christian is to be, to be mature, to be Christ-like in our character. So what I think Paul means here in Ephesians 5 verse 18 is that instead of living lives of immaturity, lives of debauchery, lives controlled by wine, which is not in keeping with God's people, we are to live lives of fullness, that is maturity, as we are controlled by the Spirit and live his way in the world. Verses 18 to 21 are actually one sentence in the original and Paul goes on to explain what verse 18 means by the next couple of verses. So uh, verse 19 tells us that to be filled with the Spirit means that we should speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your hearts to God. That is what Spirit-filled people do. Uh, We speak songs of truth to one another. We help one another to grow in our maturity in Christ. That is what Paul means, not being drunk, but being at truth speakers to one another. Which I think means, as we finish, that we should walk together, not alone. And by together, I mean two things. We should walk together with the Spirit, for he lives in our hearts, he dwells in us. And we cannot live the life of purity without his help. We need his power, do we not, to deal with the sexual impurity in our lives, to deal with the greed, the the, the language, the ways in which we live like darkness, not light. We need power. Not just an experience, but we need the spirit to help us remember and live out the truth this way. We should walk together, not alone. But also we should walk together, not alone, in terms of other Christians. For we need other Christians to speak songs of truth to us, do we not? Truth about God and his grace and his master plan for the world and what God cares about and doesn't care about in this world. I have a friend who used to uh, travel a lot for work. He he often had to work in evenings uh, far from home and he, he would drive home after the meeting late at night. 
And he told me how it was so hard to drive alone at one, two in the morning. He, he became so sleepy and distracted. Uh, he, he could do nothing to stay awake. He dreaded those lonely journeys on the way home. But what really helped was if he could find a friend or a colleague to drive with him on the way home. For they could speak to him. They could talk to him. They could remind him about the fact that it's more important to arrive home safely than quickly. They could say to him, are you still awake? Do you want to pull over and grab a coffee and grab some rest? No, to, to travel together was much better than alone. On, on, on his own, the danger came. And so too, I think, with the Christian walk. When we walk alone, we become sleepy and at risk. We forget the truth of God's word. But when we walk with other Christians, we can enjoy the benefit of Christians singing to us truth about God and his ways. When out there in the world, a thousand voices tell us to go a different way. We come here and Christians tell us, no, there is a God. Here's how to live his way. This is the right way to live. There are winter quarries around. There are precipices. There are dangers as we seek to walk God's way. We are, I think, most vulnerable. We are most likely to fall, to head to the edge when we walk alone, when no one speaks the truth and love to us and sings truth about God to us. And so as I finish tonight, if, if we are struggling with impurity, if we are locked in that cycle that we know is just wrong, you need your friends to speak truth to you. You need to be involved at church. Don't run away. Come to the place where you can hear truth about God in song and in, uh, in his word being preached. Ask a friend to pray for you. Ask that uh, God's spirit would be powerfully at work in you. Ask a friend to uh, be accountable with you about these issues. Uh, if you uh, want to chat to me, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. But don't walk alone. Walk together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful, glorious, world-changing experience it is to be part of your master plan. We thank you for the glorious views, the wonders we have found along the way so far in Ephesians. And tonight, with this difficult passage that challenges all of us, I guess, in different ways, Father, we long that you would protect us from the precipice. Keep us walking in step with you in the way that you would have us walk. And Father, please help us to be a people that love and care for one another that we would look after one another and protect one another and sing songs of truth to one another, that we may not slip over the edge into disaster. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.